Hey guys, uh, Matt here, jumping in before the episode actually starts, uh, which I know is a little unusual, but <laughs> just want to give everybody a heads up that uh, this episode had a lot of technical issues, uh, all on my end with my Zoom for some reason. I think it was more my old laptop, which has now been retired after this episode <laughs> because I was having so many technical issues. Me, Lindsay, and Mark talking about deja vu. We were on Zoom. My Zoom call kept freezing up and then crashing completely. Um, luckily, the recordings were saved, but we did this kind of in two chunks. Uh, we did a first part. Uh, it crashed, saved that, um, started up again with Mark and Lindsay, got a little ways further, and then it crashed again. And I said, all right, I'm going to call it. I've wasted enough of your time, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so that was frustrating, but I still think we talked about a lot of good stuff in regards to Deja Vu. Uh, Mark and Lindsay, very patient <laughs> with everything and great guests as they always are. Uh, I really appreciate them. And I thought they had lots of good things to say about Deja Vu. So um, I had to put this episode out because uh, today, if you're listening, it's the day I'm putting it out. It'll be Tuesday, uh, June 21st, um, which would have been Tony Scott's 78th birthday today. June 21st is his birthday. So um, had to put a Don Scottable episode out on his birthday. Couldn't miss that. Um, and I still think it's a it's a very good episode. So I really hope you'll enjoy it. If you're newer, newer to the podcast, not normally how we do things, but I stitched this together as best I could. Uh, and it's going to end very abruptly. Uh, like I said, I, it's it's going to just cut off. And I apologize for that. That's, you know, but um I still think there's a lot of good stuff here. So again, thanks to Mark and Lindsay. I want to give shout outs to their social media where you can follow them. Um, Mark is on Twitter at the shape 14, the underscore shape 14. Um, and you can follow Lindsay on Twitter at reading geek. Um, of course, follow her podcast, Lock and awe. Um, and actually I was just on an episode that, or she just released an episode. I was on uh, a couple of days before this episode comes out that I want to mention. We did a double feature of walking the edge and collateral, which I'm really proud of. So I'm um, very happy that conversation's out there. And yeah. Um, so yes, please enjoy this episode on Deja Vu. I hope it's not too uh, crazy or too all over the place to listen to. Uh, we did our best. Um, and yeah, it's Tony Scott's birthday. How could I not put uh, an episode out? So please go watch Tony Scott movie if you can. Uh, Tony, we miss you. We love you. And thanks everybody for listening. I've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm going to say that, did you? Your move, creep. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? We came, we saw, we kicked its ass! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this is volume 14 of Unscottable, which is our ongoing series on the film's director, Tony Scott. This time, we're talking about Deja Vu from 2006. Uh, help me talk about it. I'm joined by two very special guests. Uh, first up, you've heard her many times on this show, and she's the host of the Shock and Awe podcast. It's Lindsay Wilkins. Lindsay, how you doing? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming back, especially for Unscottable. I think... Uh, 
at this point, you're our reigning champion of Unscottable episodes. I think it's yeah, your third I was just one. Thinking, I was just thinking about that. Somehow I've wormed my way onto three episodes. <laughs> so um, I take that as a personal victory. <laughs> it's, yes, take it as a victory. I'm happy to have your back. Glad to have your back. So, uh, but next up, we also have uh, someone else joining us. Happy to be joined again. Uh, someone's been a frequent guest on this show. Uh, but he's not done Unscottable yet, but he loves Tony Scott movies and 2006 movies. So it's a perfect fit for him. It's Mark Warner. Mark, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. But right now I'm racking my brain trying to remember what the second Unscottable Lindsay was on was. <laughs> I need you it to was, remind. It, it's it gonna was be revenge. It was revenge. That's right. Okay. That's. So I, I was like, I got to have a female voice for revenge because it's a very, <laughs> very masculine movie. And uh, yeah, that was that was a good one. That's that a tough one to talk about. That was but. a good one. It is. Yes. It, a movie I had confused with No Way Out. So yes, when I watched too. Revenge, I was like going, wait, what? The posters are similar <laughs> from similar time frames. Both have Costner. It's I did the same thing. Uh, I confused it with Next of Kin, which is a movie I just randomly caught my dad watching on TV one morning. And then I completely forgot the title and then saw the Revenge DVD. And I'm like, is that that movie my dad was watching? <laughs> Later found out it wasn't. Uh, I don't know what the relevance of the story is. I just wanted a, I just wanted a revenge story <laughs> yeah. so I wouldn't be alone here. Just wanted to be a part of it. I understand. That's okay. You're a part of this. Uh, mm. Being a part of this, Unscottable series. I don't know if people know it's not because it's been a while since I mentioned this. It's crazy you've not been on one of these, Mark, because this was all Mark's idea. I went back to, see, I, I went back to messages from like, when did this come up? It was like January 2021. You kind of pitched this Unscottable thing as like, I might do this podcast. And then I asked you, I think it was like, Mark, would you mind if I did that on Film Feast, like as a series? And you said, oh yeah, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> it's like verbatim your message. It was like, I'm not going to do that, Matt. Go ahead. You'll do it. And then like, you you said some nice things the first episode. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing a great job. <laughs> so this was your, this was your baby and uh, took it and ran with it. So I'm glad you're here. Oh man, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, that was just one of those, one of the many ideas I had that flew through my head on a random work day. And I was just like, you know what? I feel like, I mean, like filmography podcasts are popular, but there's not really that much like just examination of Tony Scott's films. He's not really treated like an auteur as much as I'd like him to be. Like, I think, I think I could have fun doing that. And then a day later, I'd be like, I would lose interest in this so quickly. <laughs> I would be the worst person to host this. So I am grateful that you reached out to me with that because you were able to give it a life. Way more than I ever could. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Because I would never want to like just take your idea and be like, I'm doing it Scottable now. So with your blessing, I did it. And now we're near the end, which is kind of bumming me out. I keep mentioning this the past like two episodes. But um, this is, uh, there's only two more left after this. Um, but but uh, what a run. My God. Yeah, I mean, what a I run. Know, <laughs> I know people aren't fond of, uh, a lot of people aren't fond of his next movie. But I am, I feel like, here on out it's just honestly like he's he's just got a filmography of bangers it's been a hell of a run since the start he hasn't actually made a bad movie has he i mean i know people feel very kind of squiffy on certain movies like um days of thunder or top gun though i think that's getting a real a real <laughs> a, a reappraisal for some reason um but no this series is kind of um but yeah people goes i love top gun i'm like no you didn't that was only Maverick. Um, <laughs> that's a Maverick bump. Um, no, this um, series has actually kind of made me appreciate, yeah, the auteur that is Tony Scott, that he has his own distinctive style. He never plays by the rules. Um, even though he makes blockbusters, um, 
and yeah, your series is really kind of crystallized about, okay, who is this director and why is he so cool? And you go through his filmography, you're just like, yeah, he, he didn't make a bad movie, did he? I mean, I, I don't think so. And I, I mean, I think the, the worst one I've, I think I'm on record. I think my least favorite is the fan, but I don't think mm. the fan is Bobby! by, by <laughs> Bobby! I don't think it's by any means like a complete dumpster fire. I just think mm. it's like, you know, okay. Which is if your worst movie is okay, that's, that's pretty good after 16 movies. Like, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's he did a, he had a great run. I don't think anything was like a total complete bust. And people disagree, uh, but like taking a power one two three is like not well liked. I don't get that one. Oh, I, I forgot about that movie. That's coming up next, isn't it? That's next. Yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years. Okay, I might take the assignment back. I don't know. Rewatch it. I'm sure you will. Oh, rewatch it. But it's yeah. I, it's very tough to compete with an original that's beloved. If it wasn't a remake, I feel like it'd be a little more people be a little more kind to it. But um, I still haven't seen the original, so I oh. don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> I saw the remake before the original. Then went back oh, and saw the too. original. So me too. And then I saw the original and went, "Oh wow, this is a much better movie." <laughs> oh, well, the no. but the yeah. original doesn't open with Jay Z's ninety nine problems. So that's true. No, no, remake has that going. For- it does have that going for it. Oh man, I don't know. Well, that that'll be I'll be very curious people's thoughts on that one because that's kind of like I would say the the least liked Tony Scott movies would probably be the fan taking a poem one two three. Uh, I don't know. Revenge probably. Revenge, yeah. Oh, Domino. Yeah. But I love Domino, Domino so much. I forget that people don't like Domino because I love it. Like it's like top five Tony Scott. Everyone else like hates it. Not everyone else, but um, I feel like yeah. a lot of people are coming around on that one. That's one of those that's getting reappraised or. It is, yeah. I've seen much more Domino Love than I have not lo- Domino Love. So I think that movie <laughs> is getting reappraised. So that was a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant. And I think yeah. I, I was happy with our last episode with James and Rosalie on because I thought we had a good conversation. And a lot of people, I think, checked it out because of James because he's he's a man who's beloved on Twitter and he hadn't been on a podcast before. And uh, I have a lot of people were saying like, I'm going to check this out. And they were like, I need to give Domino their chance or watch Domino for the first time. So that was nice to see. That's all I really want yeah, to do. Was that was just... a great episode, by the way. It was. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was like, people just. Please. I was wor- I was worried because like Domino is one that's very close to my heart. I was just like, yeah. oh my. Well, I should. I mean, honestly, every one of these episodes, I'm just like, man, I should have. Sl- I should have asked to be on that one, man. I should have asked <laughs> to be on that one. I really should have. I really felt that way with Domino because that was a movie I loved with all my heart when it came out. But no, they they did a way better job than I ever could have. No, it was good. That, it was so great that you had James on uh, because he is like the phantom of Tony Scott. Every single time someone mentions him, he's like, hello. <laughs> he's always there. He'll find you. If you he's always there. He'll find you. Exactly. That <laughs> um, no, was great. So I, I, I think the whole, his whole career is being reappraised, uh, which is, this, I think when me and Mark come on this in our, our old, old messages, when Unscottable was like an idea, it was that time when this was kicking up because there was uh there was something in the air, I feel like. There was a screen drafts episode. I remember that. That definitely mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, that was like, <laughs> that did it. Uh, There's some other stuff, but yeah, I, uh, and now Top of Maverick's come out and that's helping, I think, a lot of people. So I uh, just want to tell you yeah. a quick story. Um, I saw Top Gun Maverick and they have a little dedication to Tony Scott at the end. Uh, first, I felt like the movie deserved applause in general, but no one <laughs> clapped when the credits rolled at my screening. Assholes. Uh, they, did but it when they, they did it mine I was, I was proud 
Well, you got to see it early, so I'm not surprised. You got that early <laughs> screening excitement. Folk. Yeah. Oh, that so was. Yeah. <laughs> but when they got the Tony Scott dedication, I wasn't letting anything stop me. I started clapping and I started a round of applause for the Tony Scott dedication. And that makes One me of the so proud. proudest <laughs> moments of my movie going life. You should be proud. No, That's yeah, wonderful. <laughs> you, that is proud. No, I I absolutely loved the opening, how they just redid the opening of Top Gun. I was yeah. just like, oh, yeah. this sets the mood perfectly of what they're going to do. It's just beat for beat, you know, that this is the Top Gun program. Then you get Danger Zone. And then the whole crowd started going absolutely mental. Um, <laughs> more mental than Doctor Strange. And I was sitting next to freaking Star-Lord in that freaking Doctor Strange screening, like uh, an actual Star-Lord who liked drinking cider. Oh, I think um, that Chris Pratt was there. It was like- No, no, no. <laughs> Someone dressed mean, up. I mean, there was a group. No one actually from, no one was dressed as, I oh, know there was one guy who saw later as Doctor Strange. Everyone was dressed as guardians to this thing, which was hilarious to me. But um, <laughs> maybe they but, were just really hoping that the guardians would show up. And yeah. when the movie was over and they didn't, they're just like, I'm not applauding that. <laughs> Pretty much. These guys the just go to every Marvel movie dressed as the guardians, hoping that the guardians <laughs> will show up. Pretty much. Only one chair. And everyone knows what that chair was for. And um, <laughs> Top Gun just got, yeah, it, 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 people running on beaches, uh, characters showing up, uh, certain lines. We just, we just applause moments in that movie. It was one of the fun screens I've been to in a while. And it was what? not the annoying kind. It was the um, actually just the, the everyone's having fun, the <laughs> yeah. good kind. No, what that you movie was. <laughs> I was just gonna say, what a what a great movie. Oh my That's, god. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement. Just like, <laughs> what a great time at the movies. Yeah. I was speeding home my Toyota Corolla, just like, <laughs> take flight. Um, I was, it gave me like a physical, like I felt like adrenaline rush, which is insane. Cause I remember the last time I had a movie that like made me feel like I was so amped up after leaving Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> like, um, and that Tony Scott in like in uh, memory credit over like a beautiful sunset on the horizon. I was like, oh, like, just touched my heart. Loved it. We probably should have done a Top Gun Maverick episode, but I feel like I kind of missed the boat now. But <laughs> I'm sure it will come up later in the year in the top 10 of the year episodes. Well, you can still oh, do a whoa, post-credit whoa, whoa. Tony Scott episode. Well, <laughs> that's true. I could have done like a, I think Daniel, I think I was going to do like a Tony Scott adja- or Unscottable adjacent about Top Gun Maverick. I probably could have, but um, with He's new so movies. Good. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel like with new movies, though, you got to do them right away or like wait a while. Because if you mm. come in that weird window of like, it's been out a month, it's like, does anyone care anymore? I don't know. <laughs> That's just me. But <laughs> um, but I love all the Tony Scott love I'm seeing. I feel like I've seen more recently. I'm getting probably talk on Maverick, but um, but yeah, deja vu. The one we're here to talk about. I almost forgot. It's like um this Tony Scott roundtable's been fun, but uh <laughs> deja vu. I'm just gonna start off, I'm gonna throw this right out there and not bury the lead. Uh this out of his whole filmography is the movie that has jumped up the most on a rewatch for me. Like I'd watch this only one time before we did the soul series and I liked deja vu, but rewatching it for this, I loved deja vu. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is like really a special piece of work from him. And I don't know why I didn't care for as much. I mean, I liked it the first time, but like, I, I think there's so much plot stuff to get through and all the time travel logic that you have to kind of get through before you can kind of enjoy it more for everything else. I'm sure we'll get into all that, but that might be what was holding it back the first time. Um, I don't know. I watched it twice this weekend with the commentary, one without. And uh, 
I'm like, oh, I love Deja Vu. This is now like a new, I think, top five Tony Scott movie for me. <laughs> so just putting that out there, just putting that right up front. Um, Lindsay, I want to start with you. Your thoughts on Deja Vu. You can tell me your thoughts when you first saw it versus now. I'm just curious. Yeah, I think it was kind of similar because I know that my partner showed me this movie because this is one of his favorite movies because this has Denzel Washington and Time Travel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that is a combination you can't beat no matter what the movie. So the first time I watched it, I was a little bit kind of, no, I like it, but it feels very choppy because this is a Tony Scott movie in 2006. Um, and then of course it was either this or Fallen depending on his mood. So it was, you know, the, the body swapping Denzel, the time travel Denzel. And the more I watched, the more I started watching um, Deja Vu, the more I was just like, oh, no, I think I really like this movie. And on this watch, it was like, oh my God, this movie is, um, yeah, quietly one of his best movies. And I know I'm saying that when he has made um, things like Hunger and uh, Man on Fire and Crimson Tide, which are masterpieces, but I think this is his sneaky, quiet masterpiece that yeah, just sort of hides in with those ones. And people don't always realize because you're right, Tony Scott doesn't care about time travel, but the movie does, weirdly. Um, <laughs> the movie wants... Everyone else is insisting you need to understand time travel. And Tony Scott's like, ah, but just look at Paul Patton. Look how beautiful she is. Come on. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. That, uh, That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm glad to hear it played for you better this time. Uh, now I got to hear from Mark. It's a 2006 movie. I'm assuming you saw this in a the theater, Mark. <laughs> um, certainly did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw his last three movies. I went to all of them on opening day. Oh, nice, nice. Mm, mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was I between uh, I'd say between Man on Fire and Domino was when I became a full blown Tony Scott fan. Like I, I um like I'd liked a lot of his movies, um, but then I don't know it's something about watching him, noticing his style in Man on Fire, which this is going to be blasphemy. I was not the biggest fan of when I first saw. But it's confronting. Yeah. It's confronting I, uh, when you first see it. <laughs> I agreed with Roger Ebert's take, which Roger Ebert's <laughs> notorious for not always having the best takes, but uh, still being the best <laughs> critic of all time. But he loved love the, him, yeah. uh, he loved the first, this is such a pretentious opinion. He loved the first chunk where it was just um, like a bonding, uh, bonding between uh, Denzel and Dakota Fanning. And it was just this like, uh, kind of mentorship movie, uh, friendship story. And then once it turned into an action movie, he just thought it got dumb. And I kind of agreed with him back then because I was not engaging with uh, what Man on Fire was actually trying to do. I just thought, oh, it just gave us a great, like, you know, kind of surrogate father-daughter relationship drama. And that's turning into a dumb action movie with a bunch of villains I don't care about. <laughs> um and then only later, after I became a Tony Scott fan, did I go back and like truly appreciate what that movie was doing. And it, that movie's incredible. Um, but yeah, between that and Domino, I'd watched a couple more of his movies and I just fell in love with his style. I feel like I kind of got a mild, I've got a mild case of ADHD. I feel like his style really speaks to that because he's always got, he's always got cameras moving. He's always cutting between angles. It's just, it's a very frenetic style. It's very energetic. And I feel like it helps keep you focused on what's going on. There's always something going on. So you never lose focus. And that's something that I'm always excited to see in a movie. Cause I know I'm going to have a good time. So when Domino came out, that movie like 
I think that movie really pushed me over the edge. Okay, this guy is one of my guys. I love him and loved Domino when it came out. Love it to this day. I have never, I've never sanctioned the hate that movie gets. So yeah, Deja Vu comes out. I am just in peak tone. I am going to watch the new Tony Scott movie. That is what I'm excited for. I'm not, I'd, I love that it's a Denzel movie. I love that it's a Bruckheimer blockbuster. But first and foremost, I'm there on opening day for a new Tony Scott movie. And I feel I feel a little more... Po- I've, I've always really liked it, but I feel like I feel more positively now just because of how many times I've watched it. Because it's a very easy movie to throw on for me. Like, it's a great one whenever you're... You just got to do something around the house. Or if you just want a good pick-me-up, like it's one of my go-to Tony Scott movies. However, uh-huh. <laughs> the time travel logic in this movie is always very frustrating to me. <laughs> time travel movies always, ex- like you, you have to accept uh, certain paradoxes with time travel movies, like, you know, anything that affects the past oh that should have already affected the future because it already happened but Mm -hmm. you you just that's a given when you watch time travel movies however this whole movie spent this whole movie is about the future has already affected the past so nothing should change and yet something changes at the end (laughs) and we'll we'll definitely get into all this but it's something that just always bothers me every time I watch it and I love it because it's such an easy watch and I love the style but that's always something that's kind of just bothering me and kind of pushing back on me a little when I watch it it's it's a very there are a handful of movies that are like frustrating movies that I love like this uh Interstellar uh the Suicide Squad like these movies have elements that really bother me but the just the sheer joy of the craftsmanship uh, overcomes them for me. So yeah, that's uh, that's my relationship with Deja Vu. Okay, go ahead, Lindsay. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just said the time travel stuff is can be frustrating because I was sort of writing in my notes that this movie with the time travel wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to be a time loop. It wants to be a time travel and it wants to be um, multiple timelines all at the same time. And um, that when you actually try and sit down and actually work out what is actually happening, what's changing, what's not changing, how the fact that every time it sets up a rule, Denzel Washington ends up breaking it um, and showing, no, no, it's fine. We can do this. Um, like the laser pointer. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, it's constantly rewriting the rule. Yeah, I, we'll get into it. But yeah, the, t- the time travel <laughs> stuff when you actually, I'm going to go and cross side um, with this. <laughs> Um, when you actually try and sit down and think about the plot and how it goes together, it doesn't work. But when you just sit down and, yeah, when I started watching the uh, first couple of Tony Scott movies, especially when he was going in his really chaotic phase, I was like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? And now watching Deja Vu this time around, it felt slowed down. It was kind of like, because I've been loving it and loving it. And then I'm like, oh, this movie actually doesn't feel as chaotic as I remember. This movie mm-hmm. actually feels quite streamlined. And I think I just got on whatever um, wavelength and maybe I am a little bit ADHD as well, just to sort of kind of separate everything like they're doing when they're on Snow White. And then I can just go, 
ah, this is the timeline. And then if I don't think about it, I can kind of just <laughs> ride along with whatever <laughs> Tony Scott's doing. But yeah, do not think about the time travel at all. It's, yeah, yeah don't. Don't, don't even think about it. That's probably, what, that's probably what held me up the first time a little bit was I was trying, trying to decipher too much of the time travel and paradoxes and all that stuff. I just watched Looper not too long ago, Bruce mm. Willis. And he has that great line, to about uh George Gordon Levin asked about time travel and he's like don't ask me that bullshit basically I can't remember exactly the line but it's like diagram with straws is something I love by yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's all bullshit it's you know it's like who cares um because mm. like if we're, you know we're watching this movie um the time travel is a part of it I think this time I got way more into the kind of like love story aspect kind of a mystery there's all these other things it's so many things in one it's it's a, a sci-fi romance uh kind of a mystery and then kind of a i mean definitely action movie um there's a lot happening and it's funny to watch if somebody sits down and watches man on fire domino and deja vu back to back to back deja vu is far more restrained in his style than than domino or man on fire i kind of Hmm. they kind of come together in this like little trilogy because they're back to back to back years but like i was watching this time deja was like wow this is way more restrained than i remembered it being and a real like slow down in the style which i still love domino man on fire a lot but like this is he loses all those like subtitles flying across the screen and all the real chaotic type stuff and um it's still some of it's still there a little elements are still there but a lot of it has kind of become it's more traditional uh in compared to those last two but i i think it still works i think tony knows like you can't you can't really rush this story and make it any more confusing than that it needs to be like his whole thing with domino was well this is kind of based on a true story she lived a very chaotic life the movie's gonna be very chaotic the styles can be very like chopped together it's all these different pieces like part of it's real part of it's we made up it's all very crazy and and this one i feel like he knows like i've got to like you know take my time a little bit <laughs> and and really focus on things and like you spend uh, so much time, so much time has to be spent with Denzel Washington kind of falling in love with Paula Patton and you've got to make that believable. There's so much going on. It's like um, the time travel stuff. Yeah, I, I, this time I really kind of just let it go and I'm like, I don't think most of this will probably hold water like after, after much. I'm like, I accept some of the stuff the movie's doing, but I'm like, in back of my head, I'm like, I don't know if that makes sense movie. <laughs> but, but I don't think Tony Scott cares either. I think you brought that up, but it's like, he, um, he, there's a thing on the commentary where someone says Tony Scott doesn't like woo-woo science fiction. <laughs> he likes science <laughs> fact. He likes it a little more grounded. And uh, this does feel very grounded, I think, for the most part. Like, this is not some crazy, uh, you know, the room they work in, it's like it, there's a bunch of screens. The machine looks like thing you could build. Like uh, that little backpack camera rig he takes mm. all feels very like you know, this could exist. Um, so I think that's trying to be grounded. But yeah, the time travel... I, it's like I've, I felt like Austin Powers, like, oh dear God, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think about it too much. <laughs> like, so I, you know, I mean, someone else could. I don't know. It's it's complicated, but this. Well, I this think the watches, um, it's, I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, like the difference between something like this and Looper is Looper is just you know telling a standard time travel story where uh, you know, um, it's it's just, it's just got these standard paradoxes that exist within this subgenre, and so the whole like don't think about time travel makes sense there. But in this, we're living in a world where everything that is um like everything they affect in everything he in the 
now I'm going cross. <laughs> Later in the movie, when he travels back in time and affects the past, that's all happened when the movie starts and we see evidence of it. So we're living in a timeline where he's already traveled back in time and affected the, um, affected the future or affected the past. And yet the fairy still blows up. And so basically the movie's saying that literally everything happens as it happened before, except somehow for some reason, he's able to stop the fairy from blowing up. And just given everything that we see in the movie, I don't see how that makes sense. Granted, I haven't examined, yeah. I, like, I haven't looked as closely in the movie as I'd like to. I've heard arguments from people who say it does make sense. And if you're listening to this, tell me I'm wrong. Yell at me <laughs> on Twitter, please. Because I want this movie to make sense. I don't want to feel that frustration when I watch it. There is a line. I don't know if it's even the movie I heard on the commentary. There's a throwaway quick line. Somebody said, where they said if a, a big enough event happens in the timeline, it can make that kind of a branching river. Because they describe time as like a river that's flowing. You can branch it at a certain point if a big enough event occurs and a kind of a side river, right? It's like a little thing kind of float out of, a branch goes out of it. Um, so is the event that's the big enough thing to change a timeline, Denzel going back in time? Is that the big event? Or someone had a line about love being powerful enough to conquer uh, this. I think that someone was uh, <laughs> Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. No, I mean, yes. you could, I think Tony Scott, whenever he was looking at it from a very romantic point of view, that he thinks it's like a love story and like love conquers all type thing. I think it's a very nice way to look at it. And some people, I think, want to look at it from a very like scientific or sci-fi point of view of like, this is what happened, you know. And that's how I will admit, that's how I'm looking at it from a very scientific point of view or as scientific as someone with my uh, middling intellect can look at something like that. But I, <laughs> I haven't looked at it from that perspective. And yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that's how it all makes sense in the end. No, I think it does because um, Denzel watching Paula Patton in the past and falling in love with her is still one of the, I think is one of the most beautiful things put to screen. I don't, uh, it, there's this thing with, well, I've been watching a lot of Denzel movies lately because I live in my house and Denzel is just a picture. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I adore, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, you don't see a lot of movies where he falls in love generally. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was trying to go through his filmography and he doesn't, he's usually very on his own. He's very kind of, the most charismatic man in the room kind of thing but there's not many movies where he is generally this romantic even though the whole thing is that they're actually perving on her in underwear quite a bit but this is a Tony Scott movie and it's, it's just, he's probably just like she's beautiful just put her in lingerie um <laughs> that moment when he tells Eldon Henson like hey are you you back on track All yeah right. and he gives him that little that wry little smile oh god <laughs> It's, that's yes. the stuff when I remember, oh yeah, this was directed by a guy, written by guys, produced yeah. by all guys. Like it's like the whole thing. Um, at least I think they have the one female character in the room who's kind of like, you guys are gross. Like So like, we need to watch her in the shower. Right. Come on. <laughs> um no, it's but yeah, I think that whole that is the whole crux of the movie. It is not how this time travel works, because even though I think Tony Scott wants all the scientific fact in it, I don't think he cares enough. And it's in the script and it's in kind of the, in the spine of the movie. But when 
this movie really pops. It's when it's Denzel and Paul Patton on screen, um, whether they're in the same timeline or not. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, I don't know what that, there's something about that score. And just when he's posting the two different images of Denzel and Paul on, on the same thing, mm. your heart melts. You're just like, going, oh my God, this is, and Denzel doesn't get to make I love you face very often. And so when you do <laughs> see it, it's 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 magic. And I do love the face he makes to um, Henson when he's like, you got her again? We're back on track. All right, cool. I get to stare at her more. <laughs> um, it's just this, oh God, Denzel is the master of the casual facial expression. It is, um, we're watching the Equalizer movies and the amount of just little nods or little, I'm going to kill you now, or little kind of things he does is just a masterclass and just minimal acting, but most impact. <laughs> He's so good at like little things. Like Denzel's like one of the best, I think at like these little, um, little ticks or little motions that he does. Like, um, I was noticing like man on fire. He does like a thing where mm. he's almost like popping his lips. He's waiting for something he's, like, like he's anxious. And then like this yeah. time when he gets out, like he gets out of the car and he puts his hands like over both his hands over his mouth. Um, it's yeah. like, these just these little, I mean, it's so little. And for some reason, I just love all these little ticks and things. And they're not always the same mm. either. He changes little things from all these movies, but it feels like a real person because real people have these little ticks and yeah. things they do. And like his looks and like, um, he just brings so much like believability to anything he does. Like I'm on board with anything. If he's in a movie, I'm like, yes, I believe anything he's doing. I'm on board with Denzel. <laughs> like one of my favorite actors. So we're all, <laughs> we're all oh, Denzel fans here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. This was actually the year, uh, 2006 was also the year of Inside Man, which is another great, like full yes! of movie star yes! yeah! Denzel performance yeah. where he's got a lot of little moments that really shine. Yeah, Denzel has a lot of guys. And he knows those are those guys who can make him look good, like Spike Lee, Tony Scott. Um, he's amazing. I just saw recently Devil in the Blue Dress, which, oh my God, I don't think he's ever been hotter in, in that movie. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, he, he's got these guys that he likes to work with that he knows, uh, Anton Fuqua as well. Um, I was blanking on his name, that he knows will make him look a certain way and make him look like a movie star. Um, that he is. Like, this is, yeah, he's... Um, He's a really smart guy and he knows who to work with. He's going to bring out the best kind of different energies. And yeah, Inside Man, he's so good in. Yeah. I really <laughs> like a lot of Spike Lee, <laughs> like a lot of Spike Lee movies that he's amazing in. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot better at picking directors than, say, Dwayne Johnson. I was going to say The Rock. Yes. <laughs> Ross and Marshall Thurber uh, <laughs> is, or uh, oh. Oh, what's. What's the other? What's the other guy he works? I know there's Brad the guys who, the, hey, like, just, just guys who say yes. Denzel yes, does not yes. choose guys who say yes. <laughs> no. he, they will push him and uh. tell him no. But Rock will not. Apparently, does not like. I don't know. He just chooses guys he can bully around. I think. He's like, like, yeah, he's he very. Just, yeah. I imagine he's very careful about his image. Like he yeah. wants to control exactly how he looks. Whereas Denzel just trusts people that he knows will make him look good. Yeah. Yeah. And also give a good performance and a, a good movie. I mean, the equal, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about the equalizer, but I watched <laughs> equalizer two last night. We should talk um, about the equalizer. I like both equalizer great. movies. Both I those movies them. are great. Um, by the way, the first one came out the same year as John Wick, just saying. Um, no, this, <laughs> yeah, those movies should not be as good as they are. And yet, because Denzel probably does have a lot of control over his projects, but yet he still trusts the people who are meant to be in charge. And he knows that. And he knows Anton Fuqua and works with him a lot. And you can tell because each of those movies are really 
good or better than they should be movies, I should say, because Antoine Fuqua does not always hit home runs. Um, but when he's working with Denzel, it's um, they're usually pretty solid. Yeah, I don't want to go on a rock tangent, but no, you're it's like I get so frustrated <laughs> with that guy because it's like he could do anything and he picks the most boring projects with the most boring directors who I'm sure he's just like telling them what to do and they're like, looks great, looks great, <laughs> Like, um, and I think it's very image conscious of like you know, it, like I'll, I'll always thought that guy was a huge wrestling fan when he was like super popular. And I think he's a very nice person in general, but I think he's so like, you know, in control of his image. Every social media post is like, you know, a team has been brought in to like make sure everything's good on it. But <laughs> um, it gets so frustrating. Yeah, guys at Denzel would work with people just, you know, and at Denzel, I mean, much better actor than The Rock. Sorry, Dwayne, but it's like, you know, it's Denzel. Even, uh, uh, yeah, it's Denzel. It's, <laughs> Denzel like, elevates everything he's in for the most part. And there's like a couple little things where they were talking about Tony Scott and Denzel working together because they worked together. This is the third time they worked together and mm-hmm. how they both really trust each other and can give each other ideas and input. Like there's a quick snippet of something behind the scenes where Denzel's in the car during the car chase with the headset on. And you can tell he's trying to tell Tony something and he's like, but why would I be looking here if I'm here? And then like, you know, like stuff like that, where it's like Denzel has input and thoughts about what's going on. And Tony will listen to him because they both you know, are friends and trust each other. Mm. I feel that really comes through. Like, um, cause I know at one point Denzel too, on the, the behind the scenes, it was like, he's like, I gotta be honest. At some points, I didn't know exactly what was going on in this movie. <laughs> I feel like at some points he was like, I was confused. So you really gotta trust your director if, if you mm. feel like you don't even know what's going on. So um, yeah, I just, I mean, we, the, that collaboration between Tony Scott and Denzel Washington is like, some of my favorite stuff that comes out of that them working together and clearly they liked working together love working together and trust each other so it's definitely a lot of that and you can tell a lot of that in deja vu oh yeah you have to trust tony scott and deja vu that this will kind of make sense at the end i can just imagine <laughs> tony being really laid back it's like it'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> although you we'll um, in post <laughs> just trust me yeah <laughs> just trust me <laughs> Although talking about the whole project making sense, so this would be a good time to talk about the script because it was written by uh, Bill Marsilli and Terry Rossio, and apparently the first draft, completely different, like they changed a lot of things, and Terry Rossio is not fond of how the movie turned out. He feels like Tony Scott like took a lot of things out of the movie that would help it make more sense because he just wanted to make it more of an action thriller he wasn't as interested in the uh kind of thoughtful sci-fi aspects as um as he was and it got me thinking like i kind of want to read that original rossio draft i want to see if it does make any more sense than this one and would it have if so would it have been a better movie i'm not gonna doubt tony scott because i mean he's tony scott he's great but does that it does have me wondering because I also love Terry Rossio because he wrote the Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, which is also one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> 2006. Ooh, <laughs> that might be my favorite 2006 movie. God, you should get oh. 2006 tattooed somewhere on your body. Like you need an <laughs> yeah, you really tattoo. should. <laughs> um, people are like, what happened that year? It's like, it's a good movie. <laughs> they Did you read Definitely about how... down that year. <laughs> oh, did you read about how these two writers uh, met up? Anybody? Uh, I did not. I thought this was fascinating. They met through an AOL chat room. <laughs> they met like, oh my God. Because oh um, God. Terry Rossio was a pretty established screenwriter. Um, I mean, he's had a pretty good career. He wrote Aladdin, Shrek, the Pirates of Caribbean movies, um, a bunch of stuff. And like in the late or early, I think 2000, uh, he had 
a portion of this idea. And then he was like, I guess he was scouting new writers in AOL chat rooms and somehow linked up with Bill Marsili. And he had another kernel of an idea uh, and they were talking. And then 2000, or September 11th happened and Bill Marsili was living in New York City at the time. And the whole thing kind of got put on the back burner. And I think because the, the whole plot point was always some kind of tragedy to happen. Like, you know, and they, they kind of felt like, okay, Rav 9-11 is not the time to make a movie with a big tragedy as your inciting incident. And uh, they got put together a couple years later and put the whole thing together. But um, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know Terry Rossio did not uh, <laughs> kind of care for the final, uh, the final movie because uh, there's a lot of stuff hinted at in the commentary about where t- Tony's saying like, well, I felt like this read better on the page, but I had to make it you know, a movie. So it's like I had yeah. to, he had to take, there's like 40 pages in the Snow White room. There's like 40 oh pages. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, if he, he was saying like a minute, a page of screen time. So like it's 40 minutes of your movie in a room <laughs> with a bunch of tech people. I and, will say, I always yeah. remember more of the movie taking place in the Snow White, that Snow White room than actually does. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think because critical things happen in that room, it makes it feel more important. But like, yeah, Tony's like, how do I shoot 40 pages in this room? <laughs> because I don't think they even had like exactly how it was going to look. It was just like a room. And he's like, what do I do? The screens are a great idea. Like it's it's visual, but it's still grounded. Of course, Tony does visuals better than like anybody. <laughs> and like, he's like, how do I make this all visual? People can look at stuff. And, and Denzel was a great audience surrogate in that stuff. The best. The best. Like I... <laughs> He's just like, oh when, there's a point that not, one, oh God. not taking any of their bullshit. Like I love the scene so much. Like I, I rewound it. Like I rewound the opening and I rewound the um, Snow White scene when he's first sitting down and like they kind of thrust him in because they don't want him to ask too many questions and right. just the looks that he's giving them, which is why he's so good at communicating things with just a slight look. He's just looking at them going, this is bullshit. What are you guys? <laughs> this is something not right yeah. here. From the like spy satellites. And he's like, hmm. spy satellites? <laughs> Really? How are you getting? That... How you, you? How you getting? Uh, can uh, tell me why you're getting uh, vocals on this? All right. What are you... <laughs> so uh, that, what's going um... on with this? <laughs> no, there's that amazing moment when after they've quote unquote explained everything to him, they're like, uh, "Are you following?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> no." <laughs> that felt I was that felt very Australian to me because I don't you yeah. guys do a lot of like yeah yeah no like no no yeah like it's like a lot of... <laughs> no. Ours are sort of when you say no, yeah, it means yes. And okay. no, yeah, means no, yeah, no, it means no. Yeah, nah. Okay. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. No. <laughs> well, yeah, that was, I was giving that exact moment, Mark, when he, when Denzel's like, they're like, you get this? He's like, yeah, yeah, no. Like, he's like, I no, do not I, understand I do not understand. any of it. That's another one this... of those great Denzel movie star moments. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm feeling the exact same way Denzel is at the point, because they kind of mm. explain some stuff and I'm still like, I don't get it. And then, you know, when he's like, I don't get it either. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm not mm. an idiot. And like, they, they make well, a point. Well, the too. funny thing yeah, is, sorry, I just want to say, I remember watching it in theaters and he didn't explain. I felt like I was, I felt like I was ex- understanding perfectly well oh. what they were saying. <laughs> and then later turned out that they were just full of shit. They weren't telling the truth. <laughs> well, no, they're basically saying this is time travel, but without saying this is time travel. I mean, when he really starts pushing the issue, then they start sort of saying, oh yeah, we're actually getting images from four days ago. Um, but before they're sort of talking around it, like it takes four days for the images to render. <laughs> or it's taking this and they're kind of 
they they just more talking around the issue without lying exactly, but they're just not wanting to fully admit that this is um, that this is you know this is actually what it is um, because we don't want to admit it. And then as soon as he finds out it's time travel, Denzel's like, right, can we go back in time? Can I send back a bit of paper? I'm doing the laser pointer. He's <laughs> he's um he's he's in very quickly once he actually it gets them to acknowledge what is happening. Cause I think he's a little bit going, is this, can she see us? This is, this is, this, this might be time travel. <laughs> what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's set up as like a very smart uh, character from the start. He's an investigator. So he notices mm. things and uh, they, somebody mentioned it's important that when he sits, starts sitting in that room with them, that he's onto them from the get go, because mm. we don't want to be ahead of him. We, like we, you know, we all suspect something and, uh, it's like, he suspects something from the get go. He's not like just buying their story. Um, cause he, yeah, we just see from the opening, he's like a good investigator. He notices things. He's smart. So he's like noticing stuff right away. And he's like, something is off here. <laughs> and like, uh, he's right. It's, I was thinking this movie is so interesting because if you've never watched a trailer for it, it would play so differently. Like uh, I forgot that it kind of takes him a while to, to like tell him it's time travel. I forgot to kind of hide it from him. It's like the fear explosion happens, finds Paul Patton's body. He starts best. Didn't know anything. It'd be like, well, this is, I don't know where this movie's going. Cause it's all over the place. <laughs> but <laughs> Oh, that's what I'll ask you guys. Uh, how do you, I, I feel like this has been overdone trend now in, uh, in movies. It's like a pop song that's used for a sinister purpose but i think the beach boys song really works in this i think it's really well used i mean it is an overdone trend but i'll never get tired of it i <laughs> love it when it happens it is cool and it's not just the beach boy song i mean i think it's used to sort of to clock you in and where you are meant to be in the movie so it's actually a useful tool it's like oh we're here now this is the, the beach boys song is playing um but because it's mixed what is the song that is the navy guys are singing at the beginning on the boat uh, when the um, saints go marching in, oh, yeah, God. this, yeah, because they're singing that, and then you clock back to the where the cars are, where it's um, "Don't worry, baby," and then you go back to poor little baby El Fanning, who's going to get blown up very quickly. Um, <laughs> El Fanning, um, just two years after working with her sister, yes, oh, um, yeah, called yeah. Abigail, by the way, which I thought was cute. Um, she's <laughs> loses her doll. Um, yeah, there's, I don't know, that opening sequence I think is used really well because it's not just an ominous speech voice song. It's kind of mixed in with all this kind of, what's well, meant to be chaos, but the way George was watching it last time, I was just like, oh, Tony Scott, good director, <laughs> just knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> that you're watching everything else and even, because I've rebound, rewound it and watched it again, the explosion still feels like it comes from nowhere. It's, um, and it's a big explosion, quite near very large so, uh, near an urban setting so and um because everything i was reading about the movie had to do with the fact that they were shooting in new orleans um and this was very soon after katrina it wasn't like yes. i kept yeah. i also oh, it was a few years later no it was months i mean well weren't didn't they shoot some of it before katrina and then they had to uh like stop and then yeah. they came back after Katrina. That's, that's what I thought too, Mark. But like I'm I kind of read different things where it's like if they had shot anything, it was it was barely anything. Cause I the thing in the book I have by Tony Scott, he said they basically just got into like scouting and setting things up. Like they were very I close to being were, ready to shoot, but they I had actually a lot of prep work. Pre-production. Pre-production. Yeah, pre-production. Yeah. Yeah. And they had to get out um 
Well, and you then, know what? At least yeah. he had an. At least he was already working on his next project, so he wouldn't have to worry about uh, I don't know Domino messing up his career. No, because <laughs> uh, he's working on this. Because Katrina happened before Domino came out, so if he's working on this, then he's already like working on his next big thing. Because it feels like a reaction to Domino. He has this like really kind of avant-garde experimental film that doesn't do well, so he kind of retreats to something that he's familiar with, like a safe, friendly blockbuster produced by the king of blockbusters. But no, maybe he was preparing for Domino to not do well. He was kind of, you know, work, like he knew he was doing something unique and out of the ordinary. And so he was already preparing to just uh, have a guaranteed hit on his hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Loots, yeah. I'm not even from, sure uh, how Linda. I... <laughs> I, 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 we were talking about Katrina. How did I get off on that topic? No, you're fine. <laughs> I, I made us like glaze over Katrina. Like we should definitely. Well, no, we'll, that's... Yeah, we'll come back. That's a big deal for this movie because, uh, well, it's funny because Bruckheimer approached him while he's doing post-production on Domino apparently with this movie because it came to Jerry Bruckheimer and he said, I know the guy to do this movie. It's Tony Scott. So he doesn't even know Domino's going to bomb yet. You know, he's just, he's like, okay, I'll do this movie. It sounds cool. And we should say his first and only any kind of sci-fi movie from Tony Scott doesn't have any of the state has some parallels in like surveillance states and like mm. guys in a room, you know, like, but, but that's all supposed to be, you know, real world stuff. And this is like his, yeah, first and only sci-fi movie. And uh, so yeah, Bruckheimer comes to him before Domino comes out. They start, they're already like doing stuff for uh, this before Domino releases too. And then Katrina hits in August 05. Um, and they have to leave for a long time. They don't come back till February 2006. Um, and then they start incorporating into the movie. And people seemed very happy. They were the first major production of any kind to come back to New Orleans uh, since Katrina, which was huge. Because they needed anything at that point. I remember like anything major that happened in that city was like a victory at that point. Like I know when their, their sports team started coming back and uh, movies going there. And just they needed any kind of positive thing to happen there because they've been through so much and the economy had been devastated and the you know everything had been devastated and um yeah so they kept mentioning that in all the kind of behind the scenes all that stuff and how important this production was to new orleans uh after katrina and they stuck to their guns everyone wanted them to move it somewhere else but denzel and jerry bruckheimer and tony scott all got together and said no we want to shoot it in new orleans we don't want to leave which i think is pretty cool so yeah <laughs> no i love the fact that they did that because it, it New Orleans always adds this amazing texture to any movie it's set in because it's such a unique place. Um, and also it does have this kind of ghostly feel to it just because it is uh, the way they're filming it, but the fact that they are driving through these decimated suburbs that are just, I mean, even when I was there in 2014, going along with that, that probably similar boat ferry, ferry thing, but I didn't get blown up. Thank goodness. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, always good. Um, but you still saw, and this was 2014, so this would have been what, seven, six years, seven years after, you still saw the damage of Katrina. Uh, it, um, it's like if you ever go to Christchurch uh, now, um, after their earthquake, it still hasn't been rebuilt. There is, you can still see the scars and it was going to stay there for a long time. Um, but yeah, I love the fact that it's in, I love anything that's in New Orleans because I just remember the food and it makes me happy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but I love the fact that they stayed there. I think the fact that Denzel and everyone's, Tony Scott and everyone said, no, we're going back to New Orleans. We're still going to shoot. We're going to try and help 
bring business and or just try and help where we can. And it meant a lot that people that probably sort of even more the fact, hey, we haven't forgotten you. We know you're still there, which I think is probably the biggest more morale boost you could mm-hmm. probably get to a city who's gone yeah. through something like Katrina. And it kind of works into the movie beautifully. It's about mm. like they're shooting it in a city that's faced a tragedy. And it's a movie about a city facing a tragedy. And in the movie, they're able to overcome it. Like Bruce Greenwood even has a little like speech about the strength of the people of New Orleans. It's kind of uh, overlaid to montage of just the uh, victims of the ferry bombing. It's just uh, mm. and it's just a lovely little touch. Oh, I love Bruce Greenwood so much. He's just, he's got this, I'm in charge and everything's going to be okay. Like in National Treasure 2, even though he's just the prime president and he just walks into a room, but he still has that weight of, I'm good at what I do. I'm a strong leader who's capable and fair. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I wish this was an actual thing. Yeah. <laughs> he also him. plays the yeah. president in uh, Kingsman 2 and he's an oafish buffoon who tries to cover up the truth in that. So he can play I, both sides. I forgot about that. I, yeah. I forgot that he was in that movie. <laughs> it's and, uh, a busy and I movie. That. That's understandable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that he, every time I see him pop up, I'm like, oh, you're some kind of leader or a cop. Or he can also yeah. play like, I think kind of like scummy rich guy. He like can pretty well, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like he. But you see him, and he does. I think he has a really great voice too. There's like an authority to him. He comes on, so um, Captain the, Pike, baby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one of the great, uh, probably that guy actors, I would say. So, oh, um, he absolutely is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Paula Pat for a minute because oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> because a role that I think, yeah, like, there, we can have a little discussion about this, where it's like. Denzel has to fall in love with her without for without meeting her for a very long time. He's just getting glimpses of her life. He's it's mm-hmm. very he's spying on her basically. Like uh, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. But like she has to do so much. I think with not much to work with, honestly, especially for a long time in the movie, where it's like looks that she gives and just her, I don't know, her presence. Like, but she has. Like, I get why she'd look at you and you'd be like, I'm in love with this woman. <laughs> that like, first moment, like, when they're first looking at her, she's got that first moment, like, that first close-up where she just looks into the camera and smiles, and that's like a movie star being born. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't actually because she never had the career that she should have, but that should be a movie star being born. It really should, because uh, you, and not only are you watching Denzel fall in love with Paula Patton, but you also have to fall in love with her a little bit. And I love, yeah, because you're only getting snits and pieces. Like the first time you see her, she's a dead body, um, a mutilated, burnt, dead body. Then um, you see a photo of her smiling. Then you hear her voice on the phone and then you see her. So it's this amazing, re- and it's an amazing reveal of her and, She's, yeah, Paula Patton smiles at you. Yes, you fall in love with her. I mean, and she should have had a bigger career because she is amazing. And I don't know whether, I was trying to find out if it was just because she decided that she just went, fuck this to the system, to the hot Hollywood and went, I'm not doing this. Or if something happened or or um, she just didn't get the roles that she deserved. But um, I love her in, I yeah, and you're right. She's given nothing to do, but yet she's doing so much. She just doesn't, she never feels like damsel in distress, even though that's kind of the role she's playing. Yes. In the exactly. past, it's like, he's just trying to save her, but the threat 
hasn't happened yet. It's a very, yeah, there's a concept too. Yeah. Like it's like Daniel stress. She's having a hell of a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a crucial role because if we don't buy that, he'd fall in love with her, just looking at her or just kind of seeing her like little bits from her daily life. then that is, you know, hard to believe, but I believe it. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. It's like, like mm-hmm. Denzel sells it. She sells it. Like, like it doesn't work. I think if they don't, if they both aren't as good as they are. And yeah, I don't know what happened with her career either, because like, one of those people, they bring everybody back for uh, Mission Impossible movies, but she hasn't come back yet. I thought she was a great, I thought she was so great in Ghost Love Protocol. Her. She's part of the Ghost reason parts. why that movie is as good as it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. yes. <laughs> I don't get, <laughs> she's so, amazing. Yeah, I'm looking at IMDb and she works like uh, here and there, but I just don't understand. Like, that's like, she's such a movie star. And uh, I, who was the guy that she was married to that's a singer and he cheated on her? Oh, Robin Thicke. What a monster. How do you cheat on Paul Pat? And then writes a song about it, but then plagiarizes that song. It wasn't that I can't remember. (laughs) Any Robin Thicke is a dickhead. (laughs) He used to be a piece of shit, and he still is. (laughs) Justice for Paula Patton. Um, I want to see her back in the next Mission Impossible. I want like a secret cameo. um, Did you guys ever see Idlewild, that outcast musical set in Prohibition? (laughs) No, I don't. Did anybody? Did you see that movie? I I did because it came out in two thousand six. Oh, (laughs) so. I'm not even at, like I'm not by any means an outcast fan. I've literally only ever heard "Hey Ya," but I saw there was a uh, prohibition set musical with some out uh, with some actors I like. I'm like, I'll go check that out. And uh, I don't know if it was her first movie, but it was her first big movie, yeah. and I remember her being incredible in that. And if that movie was as big as Maybe having that and Deja Vu in the same year, if that movie was as big as it should have been, it might have given her career a little more of a boost. But uh, yeah, no one saw Idlewild. <laughs> yeah, I me. bombed terribly. I was like, but, but you supported it. So the, I, I like Outcast. <laughs> I should probably see that movie. But uh, yeah, she had a little role in Hitch, a movie I really enjoy. Had a tiny role in a movie called London with Chris Evans, I think. Oh, I know that movie. Mm. Jason Statham. And the, yeah, that was, and then Idlewild was like, she's like third build. But then Deja Vu comes and it's like, star making moment then she's in some not you know th- i mean she's in stuff but it's i don't know she was in mirrors i was shocked i was like she's in mirrors <laughs> i did not know that so yeah there was like a, she wasn't she never really recaptured well okay i was about to say she never really recaptured that um magic until ghost protocol but she was in oscar nominee precious so i'm wrong about that oh I've still not seen Precious. I haven't seen Precious either. Neither have I, but I listened to a podcast recently where uh, someone was talking about her and they said she's like secretly the best part of that movie. Oh, okay. And and I believe it. Because they said that everyone in that movie is, you know, going big on the tragedy of it and she's supposed to be like the hopeful figure in the movie. And I can buy that. I, yeah, yeah. I, could, I think I could yeah. buy that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too, because um, Paul Patton is usually the best thing in any movie. I mean, she outstar- she out-movie stars Tom Cruise in Ghost Protes. I mean, it was the scene where they <laughs> go into the, um whatever, they're trying to sneak into something, so they're all they're like dick to the nines. And she just walks in, and you're just like, oh, movie star. Tom right, and, yeah. and even Tom Cruise pales in comparison, who is like <laughs> the last great movie star. So, um, And I think he's mad about that because in that moment when she introduces herself to him, he's just like, okay, and walks away. <laughs> he is. He's just like, how dare you bring a more glowing person to the room than me? <laughs> um, Man, yeah, she's, I mean, she's so good at this. And I do love when they finally get to like actually be, you know, together later in the movie when, they're in the same space and that's a weird spot for Denzel to be in because he's been watching her. Then she's like, who is this 
crazy man. <laughs> you know, it's he like doesn't take any of his bullshit because this is one thing I got a little bit frustrated with is why Denzel wasn't going for help. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, because even Paul Patton asked him three times, why don't we just call the police? If you know there's a bomb on the boat, call the police. And he's kind of giving these very vague, again, answers that don't make complete sense. Um, Cause I'm just like, no, just tell someone that there's a bomb on the boat. That's a good um, point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not a nobody. He's an ATF agent. He's an they ATF should, they agent. They should listen to him. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. He's got, it's not like they won't listen to him. So it's kind of, yeah, but I like the fact she doesn't necessarily put up with his bullshit. As soon as he says the first thing, you can see her face, again, what Denzel does, you can see her face clock it and going, huh, how does he, I know you've been surveilling me, but how do you know this specific piece mm-hmm. of information? And mm-hmm. when he goes, put on the blue and white dress, and she goes and comes out with the gun, I'm like, yes, because he's being <laughs> creepy right now. <laughs> yeah, she's Which you understand why yeah. he's, yeah, she doesn't fully trust him. I'm like, yes, you do not trust him because, and her situation he knows way too much about you to be anything other than a stalker right now (laughs) (laughs) this is true this is true that's like you know listen there may be some logic flaws in deja vu but it's (laughs) some some gaps in logic but you know yeah i did it don't worry baby yeah watching yeah yeah it's all good baby um no watching this i realized that tony scott doesn't really believe in movie rules i mean he knows how to make a movie and he knows how to make a blockbuster but he's like eh, rules i can just break him ridley on the other hand loves his movie rules like he will he's a little bit more stand is not the right word because ridley's a really great director but um he's a little bit more okay these are the rules and this is the rules that we're playing by with his tony is just like yeah no we'll be good It'll be cool, baby. <laughs> He's like, we're making a movie. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, don't think about much. it too much. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I, Mark, I'm sure you have notes, but you're very good notes. You have, what do you want to bring up that you're really burning to talk about? <laughs> I mean, we should probably talk about, um, Jesus Christ. We should talk about Jim Caviezel. <laughs> also Jesus Christ. Uh, JC, you read JC? Um, uh, Kind of, yes. JC, uh, from what I know, I'll just say we're a, kind of a wackadoo in real life now, from what I understand. Sounds like just a piece of shit in real life. I mean, I mean yeah. I, it's lots of, yeah, the things like, he's spouting in this a, movie, I'm just like, do you actually believe the shit right, that he's Right, right. It's a little because creepy. From what I know now, it's yeah. a little bit too close to home. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. That I was, I was, I'm, I was trying not to make that joke because it felt like low hanging fruit. But yeah, I mean, it seems oh, I like he's basically. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, did you ever see that tweet that was circulating that kind of listed all the stuff that he did on the set of Person of Interest, and it just made him sound like an absolute nightmare to work with? Oh, I think I missed that. I, no, <laughs> I remember Mike ranting about it because I know he loves Person of Interest, and I think this was his kind of, oh God, I, uh, the show I love now has become difficult to watch. Um, <laughs> but I didn't see, I didn't see the list that he 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 did. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually, I mean, I mean, it does, I. I can I can usually just separate the art from the artist and just enjoy this. I can enjoy watching Jim Caviezel play a piece of shit who gets what he fucking deserves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he. It's uh, a great death. It's it, it is oh, it is great, pretty spectacular. And I, he's a, I mean, he, a lot of times he, he can be a very talented actor. He's very good in the movie. Oh, oh, yeah, which is which no, is annoying because I. Matt. <laughs> oh. 
I thought it froze again. I'm here. You know what? I was actually going to take a timeout. Why don't we stop doing videos? I think that might be part of the, that's making my computer work harder, I think. So let's okay. stop. Okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. Am I sharing my screen with? Okay. Never mind. No, you are not, not doing video. Yeah. So, okay. It said, uh, uh, screen, I thought screen share was highlighted. I was, wait, now stop video. Top oh my God. <laughs> Shut it down. I, I think that'll help. I think too. that makes it work a little harder when you got to do video. So, okay. I think we're doing okay. I don't, I think we'll give it the video. <laughs> so, oh, well, we can clearly edit all of that out. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was my yeah, plan. Yeah. I was actually literally about to tell you guys like, okay, time out. Let's cut the video. Cause I think it's, it's hurting the, I think it's making it work harder. So, um, okay, fine. We're good. We're good. So, um, yes, yeah, Jim, Jim Caviezel, uh, he <laughs> good. I mean, not always a good actor here. He is. I think he's very good. Like he is, he completely sells the uh, just radical right-wing conspiracy nut job to a T. Yeah, a little, it's, a, it's almost too good. It's a little concerning. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I was, and he, because yeah, he, 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 he kind of underplays it. Like he's not doing your stand, like Tony, I mean, Tony Scott's very good with actors, but he's got a lot of movies where, the actors will go like the villain actors will go over the top. Like, uh, like the next movie, John Travolta is just having a field day, <laughs> but Jim Caviezel just plays it straight, just plays it low key sinister. And he is so chilling because of it. Yeah. And he's also an idiot. Like that's kind of what I loved about the performance most of all, um, even though it was a bit like, Oh God, this is really creepy. Um <clears throat> But there's the moment when Denzel's actually interrogating him after they've eventually caught him. And he's like, well, yeah, I had to do that so I wouldn't get caught. And you're looking at him going, but you did get caught because you're an idiot, like most of these guys are. They're kind of in their own head and they think, oh, no one's possibly going to figure this out. It's like, no, everyone's going to figure this out. Like, you're not that smart. Well, Um, in his defense, the only reason they figured it out is because they had time travel. (laughs) <laughs> this is true. if not for How time he travel he actually would have gotten away with it probably well because he necessarily. is like he's he feel he's really like he's he, he pays attention to the details like he's literally about to cut off paula Patton's fingers right before uh denzel shows up and saves the day just because she scratched him and has his dna like he's focused on all the angles but it is. sounds it sounds like I'm praising a right wing terrorist. I'm not. I'm just. Uh, oh, I don't think it does. I, just, I no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Got to be no, careful it's... there. But I, he, I do feel like he is. He's the character is smarter than we give him credit for. It mm-hmm. is, but at the same time, the reason why they kind of know something's off is because the um, I can't remember the guy guy who does the autopsies. Um, the corner. The coroner, yes. He sort of says, hang on, I don't think she died in the blast because her fingers have been chopped. They're not blown up. And if she was meant to be the person that set the bomb, she's too much in one piece. Um, they kind of figure that out relatively quickly, which is how they get onto Paul Patton in the in the first place. So I think it would have just taken more time. Um, it's, it's not like those other dudes who think, oh, yeah, no one's going to figure this out. Everyone's figuring this out. But I think they would have eventually because... Um, yeah, they, they kind of already hang on. Something's a bit fishy here. This body is not like the rest, but you're right. He does know the details. Like she's been, he's, uh, he scratched him. So she's gonna, he's gonna cut off the, the fingers. 
um, and hope it looks like a bomb explosion thing, but it's really hard evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's a little bit smarter than I would have liked him to be. <laughs> yeah. I like my right-wing terrorists to be idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, this is true. Not that um, I like right-wing terrorists. Right. <laughs> but you want them to be dumb. Uh, they, I want them to be very dumb. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty quietly sinister and feels very committed to his own craziness. And uh, uh, I do like, I guess it's a real-life um, investigation uh, or interrogation tactic to praise the person you're talking to, which Denzel does. He's like, man, you... You like you were really smart. We had to, you know, how we figured this out. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he kind of praises him like, like this was tough, you know. You did, you did all this, and then just like tell me about it, tell me about it. Like you kind of get him talking about themselves. Um, and Nick Wiesel's character is very happy to talk about <laughs> like him, his ideology, and his the whole thing about fate and all that stuff. And um, apparently, he studied a bunch of people like Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, and all these other guys, and like does feel like very believable and a very scary and and creepy way and um yeah he's he's good it's like i just jim caviezel a person i wish he wasn't such a asshole apparently <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is fun yeah. as villains though did you guys ever see escape plan i did but i did not like escape plan that much <laughs> like okay well uh regardless how you feel about the movie i think he plays a very entertaining villain in that movie <laughs> I forgot he was in there. <laughs> he kind of brings the same low key approach, but he's playing so, the character he's playing is so over the top. It's a weird combination, but mm. I like it. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I don't, I forgot he was in that movie actually. <laughs> I forgot he was in I was going to say, I saw this movie and I forgot, oh, yeah, he is in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, well, Amy Ryan's in there. I need to watch, do I need to watch this movie again? That cast isn't actually too bad. Sam Neill? Wait, have I seen this movie? <laughs> you should you should watch it again. It's a it's a fun time, I think. <laughs> Matt's gonna tell you differently. Apparently, <laughs> I just I think it's it, the the unfair thing is that it has Arnold and Stallone in it, and if it has those two guys, my expectations are very high. Even if it's like older Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and uh, you know, I just think they should be in a better movie. If it was like a, if yeah, it, I will yeah. admit, I came around to it on a second viewing. I also okay. did not like it when I first saw it. <laughs> they are playing very old and tired. Well, Stallone isn't trying to be, but he is still looks very old and tired. And at least, Stallone, at least Schwarzenegger's like, I'm too old for this shit. What do you want me to do? Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take us on an escape plan tangent. <laughs> oh, it's always an escape plan tangent. No, it's, uh, yeah. didn't think it come up on this show. Um, but, um, yeah, he is. He's good. And also, again, like, Paula Patton, he's this important character that uh, we don't even really see him till like how long into the movie? I mean, we, you know, like Jim Caviezel himself doesn't really start getting screen time till like an hour in, maybe more. I don't know. It's like, yeah, we don't really, yeah, we don't really see him until, uh, uh, yeah, until he shows up at the dock and kills uh, Denzel's partner, which is a ways into the movie. And then yes. we, we don't see him in person until well after an hour. Yes, no, okay. you don't. And it's kind of smart because they're talking about him a lot, but they just don't know who he is. So they're just trying to follow every single lead they possibly can. So the only link they have is like, well, we know she, uh, Paul Patton's been murdered. So therefore we follow her. We'll follow, we'll find him. But what it ends up happening is because Denzel doesn't have the patience. Um, he ends up sending a piece of paper through time and gets his, partner kills which i thought is this time around this really struck me it was kind of like 
Denzel thinks he can just play with time and he keeps doing it. It's like he keeps trying to fix his mistakes by going more time travel, which I would be like, you know what? I fucked up this once. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm just going to reboot and see <laughs> what happens. Cool with it with the time Again, <laughs> going back to the logic of this movie, all of this stuff has happened when the movie yes. starts. And <laughs> yet he somehow is able to fix it at the end, even though... Uh, Based on what we're learning from the movie, maybe shouldn't. But again, we're going back to that love thing that I need to probably watch the movie again to get. I've <laughs> you, seen I've seen yeah. this movie a lot, by the way. I feel like I should have a greater grasp on that than I do. I mean, it's tough. I don't the love thing was like someone something somebody said it. I don't I wouldn't have thought about it, but I'm like, well, if you use that reason, then you can kind of do anything. So it's like kind of a magical, like almost like out. It's like love conquers all. Okay, I'll buy it. Uh sure. It's like I like I'm a romantic. Um look, she was being directed by Christopher Nolan. Okay. She could say whatever she wanted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be keep making the interstellar joke. No, it's fine. I love it's interstellar. A, it's, I love interstellar, but that is a weird line rating. And it and um you can tell Nolan goes, no, make it more like low-key of what you're saying. Make it more scientific, make love scientific. And then that way it's like, how do you make love scientific? Okay. Um, I will say the line the way you want me to say it. Okay. Um Yeah, I still maintain yeah. one of the best viewings I ever had was Interstellar at like two in the morning on cold medicine, and I loved it. I was That's like perfect way to see so it. <laughs> out of it. And I was like, this movie's amazing. But uh um yeah, I mean, there's the whole man, the time travel thing again is going to make my eyes go cross. But the the idea of them sending that little note back to uh, the office and Denzel's partner finds it. Denzel missed it because he leaves the room in the past and then his partner finds mm-hmm. it. And then they have to wrestle with the idea of like, like, did we get him killed? Is this our fault? Like, it, and because the, the partner stuff didn't stick with me the first time I saw it either. This time it was like, it was like a new thing. I was like, oh, I'll talk to this partner. Denzel's partner because like it's like the car's there and they're like oh I think your partner was on the ferry when it blew up but then we find out that wasn't the case and that's the kind of stuff that really makes your head start to spin with time travel <laughs> it's like did we cause this did, is it going to happen no matter what is it predetermined like um it's yeah that's the kind of stuff where I'm like it's cool I don't want to think about it too much though because it might make my uh brain leak out my ears <laughs> Uh, quick, a uh, quick comment. His partner, by the way, played by Matt Craven, who was in Crimson Tide. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Another he was yes. Great that guy character actor uh, who pops up and stuff. I'm like, I know that guy. He's, also, but I... he's the guy on the poster for Happy Birthday to Me, who's getting the shish kebab through the head, I believe. Oh, oh was not. that him? I believe I so. Wow, a I've seen that poster so many told times. Me that I, I don't think I've ever paid enough attention to the face on the poster to know like confirm but i'm pretty sure it's him he's definitely in the movie i know that much yeah yeah wow. he is actually in the movie yeah because i oh. love happy birthday to me um <laughs> and i love that poster even though there is no death <laughs> that's guys remotely close to the uh, shish kebab oh the 80s <laughs> you could put anything um, on a poster and uh yeah. <laughs> sell the movie um yeah. okay i do want to talk about this for sure. Uh, the car chase in Deja Vu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Tony Scott has a movie where there's very unsafe driving. I just like, <laughs> with the, it's just whether you're figuring Madeline Stowe or you're trying to chase Jim Caviezel who's four days in the past. Um, <laughs> that is some very reckless driving. <laughs> <laughs> very dangerous. A lot of cars get uh, flipped around and all this. One Angel's of my favorite things. I, I love how the second the like first wreck happens, it's just like it cuts away for a second, and then when it cuts back, there's a car 
mid like already midway through its flip and it hasn't even been a full second they noticed that this sounds like the car's flipping like how did that happen <laughs> like, like that just came out of nowhere yeah that flew out of nowhere um i think it's honestly from a technical standpoint maybe one of the coolest best things tony scott did like it's like because it's an the concept's already cool enough where he denzel's driving with this this headset on and he can see four days in the past he's chasing you to four days in the past but he's driving in present day mm-hmm. and i don't know how you'd even do both at the same time like i could never uh they were helping direct him back at the room but like uh just what a crazy cool like heady concept of like a car chase in the past while you're driving in the present um i think he pulls it off really well even that whole set like that whole chase is amazing and then it keeps like they kind of even at the aftermath where he gets out of the car with the the headset it's kind of like a camera and they're still seeing the past and he's in the present and that whole i, mean, I think it's just ingenious i think it's so good um and so creative it it really is because yeah it is this whole thing of this car chase yeah at two different times and two different timelines and you get like cars being flung at you that you didn't notice because you're too busy following Kazeel in the rain and all this kind of thing. And it's, it's, um, it is really, really cool. It is so well done. And it's just speaks to sort of how Tony Scott could direct the hell out of action. Um, because you don't necessarily, I mean, things are surprising because especially when he gets hit by that truck, because he just happens to stop in the middle of the road randomly. <laughs> um, cause he's paying attention to what's happening four days ago. Um, but yeah, Tony, Tony Scott, God, he was so good at action. He just knew how to just make it exciting and, and brilliant. And you're kind of on the edge of your seat and you're almost moving with the cars. Like you're playing a video game. You're like, oh, no, 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 don't go over there. Go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Mark thoughts on the, on the car chase. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, you guys have covered everything beautifully. It's just, it's, I mean, it's just such a great concept and it's just, like, I feel like it would be a good scene already in anyone's hands because it's just such a great concept. But because it's shot by Tony in his, you know, own unique dynamic way, it just elevates it to God tier status. It's just, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So that moment where Denzel kind of gets spun around, I think it stops. And then he's looking straight at Jim Caviezel it's in the past and he's in the it's, I, it's so cool i just i was well, like no because he's yeah. looking at him before he gets spun around because right, you yeah. actually see that one you, like in the first shot where you see him like looking through that you see that truck like jamming on its brake and the bed's kind of starting to turn like heading for him but the scent we're just hearing the music because he's not paying attention to anything outside of that camera so mm-hmm. we don't notice it until we cut back to the second shot right before it hits him Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's again, like real, like it's like they wrap your head around this kind of stuff. Uh, it seemed very hard to shoot, but they, uh, they pulled it off. I was like, this is a real accomplishment from a technical standpoint because this was not easy. Um, and I think it took them the a while. Yeah. Editing, yeah. The editing involved in that scene. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine how hard it is to edit a Tony Scott movie, especially something like Domino or Man on Fire, because you've got flying credits, you've got all this kind of thing happening often at the same time. And that, that I should have actually looked up who edited this, but that car Chris, chase. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm just guessing because he edited like, I think all of his later films, but it's Chris Lebenzen or Lebenzen. Uh, L-E-B-E-N-Z-O-N. That's Tony gives a it. shout out to him at some point because they've worked together 
Wow, it's more than I thought. Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Revenge, Chase of Thunder. He's been there since the beginning, though. Crimson wow, Tide, yeah. Enemy of the State. Uh, yeah, uh, let me see here. He didn't do Dominant. Anyway, he did Deja Vu. We did Take It Down 1 3 and Unstoppable. So, like, the vast majority of Tony Scott movies are uh, Chris Leben- Lebenson. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, Lebenson, I think. But um, yeah, and he gives him a lot of credit because it is tough. Tony shoots a lot of stuff, too. That's the uh, he shoots a lot of footage and you have to put it all together and make and make it coherent. And that's a big job to fall on the editor. But um, this guy did a great job. So. While we're lavishing praise on his crew members, let's lavish some praise on Harry Gregson Williams, the composer. Oh, my God. Who, yes. uh, oh. <laughs> worked with him, I think, since um, like at least Man on Fire, maybe even uh, Spy Game. Spy Game might have been the first one they uh, joined up with him on. I'm looking back I, here. Yeah. So he um, he's like in every one of his films he's done with Tony Scott, he's got a real kind of percussion heavy style. It's a very like, it, the rhythm of the music matches the rhythm of the movie and the visuals and the editing so perfectly. And I feel like that helps really draw you in and kind of uh, gets the adrenaline flowing. And I feel like that that's a big help in the scene because the score in that moment is so cool. Yeah, like, it's I've really... actually listened to the, I've listened to that piece oh, wow. of music regularly. <laughs> yeah, because it does a really good thing where it just fits in with the movie because um so if you listen to something like a with from a harry zim uh harry, not harry, Hans zimmer or danny elfman you notice it's like oh i know you clock instantly oh i know who that is this is those guys and his ones just kind of seem to f- just fit perfectly with the movie that they're making that they just highlight those moments you have the percussion with the with the um with the drums or that kind of i think it's like a violin scratch almost when you're on the boat at the start and that beautiful sweeping music when you've just got denzel staring at paul Patton and yeah it's he he's got these great guys that he works with um and i think yeah your composer your editor and your cinematographer are kind of everyone else is really important as well i'm not taking away from the facts i'm not talking away from the grips i'm not taking away from the sound guys but those three guys kind of help you make your movie and help you define your style and so yeah again tony scott just really good at choosing his guys Yeah, and actually, Harry Gregson Williams and Tony Scott worked together on every movie from any enemy of the state onward. Yeah. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I know it was every single movie. I thought he might have missed one or two, but no, it's every every movie he works on. Um, this I'm glad you brought the score, Mark, because the score is so good in this. Like, um, the opening music when the when the credits or when the like the logos are still popping up, I love that piece of music. Like, it's such a. I think it comes back a few times, but like such like a simple like, um what's the word uh mournful kind of haunting it's ominous yes yeah yes. it lets you know that's so, that's what's so great about don't worry baby because it's like you know it's very ironic like it's um after this opening music where it's very ominous and it lets you know that something bad is going to happen because you're hearing this music over these images of these uh navy guys just celebrating yeah and then don't and the, don't worry, baby comes up, and it's like, uh, oh, don't worry, baby, ha <laughs> ha, just kidding. And then it just comes kidding, back at yeah. the end, and it's like, no, don't worry, baby. Oh, don't worry, I won't. Yeah, I. <laughs> 